You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world. By building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Welcome to another episode of Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite and Enabling Superheroes. It's that time of the week where you get to hear from us on the wonderful topic of neurodiversity. I'm Theo Smith, your host with the most. And today I'm joined by Stephen. Now, Stephen was introduced to me um, as part of a piece of work that I did to recognize others, both here in the UK and across the globe. And that is why I was so keen to get him on to today's podcast to really explore his experience um, and, and his understanding and appreciation of neurodiversity and what he's doing about it. So, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it'd be amazing if you could introduce yourself, let them know who you are and a little bit about yourself. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, too. It's afternoon here in Lagos, Nigeria. Sorry, connecting from Ibadan now. I'm used to Lagos. So good to see you. Good to hear from you. Good to, uh, you know, be part of this amazing work that you're doing. I'm so excited to be here. So... My name is Steven, Steven Emmanuel in full. So you could call me Steven, you could call Emmanuel. Emmanuel is my last name, Steven is my first name. I'm excited to be a, um, sometimes called a neurodiversity advocate uh, based in Nigeria. And I love to always talk all things neurodiversity. How did I come to this? Uh, you know, it was just five years ago when I finished college and i was just so fascinated about doing so many things including increasing on my research and all of that but something happened in 2020 you know 2020 the year of the pandemic so many changes in the world so 2020 came and then i came in contact with a word on linkedin the word dyslexia and i was like oh what's this all through my high school days all through my college days i never come across this word what is it out of curiosity, I looked up the word dyslexia and I found out, wow, wow, wow. Then from there, I keep checking, keep learning. And fantastically, I hosted a webinar in August and that was the first webinar on dyslexia awareness in Nigeria. And from there, we've been doing amazing things, founded Inclusive Classroom Nigeria and Inclusive Classroom for Learners with Dyslexia Foundation. 
trying as much as possible to train pre-service teachers educated in the uh, training the Otton Gillingham approach and trying as much as possible to push the science of reading to teachers, ensuring that structured literacy becomes a part of our teaching and learning process in Nigeria. And since then, it has been, been amazing. Thank you, Till. That's incredible. And just give us an understanding then, Stephen, of what are some of the challenges that you faced? Um, because it's great that um, you felt empowered now to to start to have the conversation and to start to um, help others understand um, the incredible concept of neurodiversity uh, and, and some of the challenges and opportunities. But what for, for the outside audience who may not understand uh, Lagos and Nigeria, what are some of the barriers and opportunities that you have faced? You know, what's the level of awareness? How much understanding is there? Is there any pushback? What are some of the difficulties of uh, really being able to, to spread the word? What are some of the things that you think would be of value for others to hear around uh, the journey that you're going on? Oh, thank you so much, Theo. Now, okay, Nigeria is an household name to many, but it's, I do not want to assume everybody knows about Nigeria. And just to clarify, the, the mystification about the things you've known about Nigeria. For some, Nigeria means something in corruption. Some To some, Nigeria means so many things. Now, let me explain. Nigeria is a multi-diverse country, and one of the states that is most popular in the country is Lagos. And uh, fantastically enough, it is the hub of the economy of the nation, Nigeria. So raising awareness in a context whereby you have over 250 ethnic groups and speaking different language always having english as a lingua franca is a challenge because sometimes it is met with so many barriers and just like you have asked let me put a few barriers uh, that we are facing our work raising awareness number one our focus has always been on uh kids and teachers in underserved communities always saying high poverty rates are environments and that is why i moved from lagos to other states to say okay let's raise awareness in places whereby uh yes relatively neurodiversity is at the cradle stage in terms of awareness in nigeria however there is a need to go further by my own personal vision to say why many people may look up online to find these things there are some people who do not even have access to the internet so let's take the awareness today and that's exactly what we're doing now one of the barriers we faced is the language barrier so for example i'm communicating with you in the english language and then you get to class you speak english language and the students are looking, the puppies are looking, they do not understand in details what you're saying. So, and you want to teach them how to read. The books are written in English language. Uh, the teachers are expected to communicate in English language. And that is not the language of instruction at home, all right? Uh, that's not the language of communication at home. The language of instruction at school, it's at variance with the language of communication at home. So, for example, let me give a typical uh, case we had. A student who is being communicated through at home with a particular language called the Yoruba language in Nigeria. That's a predominant language in southwestern Nigeria. Now, when the child comes to school, he is expected to speak the same language other than that is not the official language of Nigeria. So the teacher is expected to teach the 
our learner with the English language. Now, according to the curriculum, according to the policy, at early grade teaching, we are expected to teach with the indigenous language. But that becomes a challenge also because we have different indigenous language in this context. So, for example, in the context I was sharing with you, you could have a community or a particular local government where you have in uh, four or five different languages. So apparently that's a challenge, that's a barrier. And the teacher who teaches in that environment is not uh, an indigenous of that environment because uh, you do not really have teachers in those environments. Teachers come from the urban centers to those rural areas to teach and they return in the same way. So a communication becomes a barrier. And so we're talking about teaching kids, raising awareness of the neurodiversity, but they do not understand the way we're communicating to them. So we had to come to their level, understand which language uh, is most frequent among the class that we are speaking through, and then we use uh, improvisation to get this across to them. And uh, let me give you an example. So for example, if you want to teach uh, just what we call phonological awareness or phonemic awareness uh trying to introduce it to learners and then you is expected to say in the word cats you have three phonemes that is k -a -t, but the children are not familiar with cats you know for example you say in the word dog you say how many phonemes does d or g so now they know what a dog is, but they do not call it a dog. Now, in their language, it is called Aja. So now that's where the challenge comes from. So instead of saying dog, dog, emphasizing dog, you've got to say, okay, what we're talking about today is Aja, right? And so let's count the number of phonemes in the word Aja. So you say Aja. So that's three. Same thing for dog, which is D-O-G. So three phonemes in their language for dog, three phonemes in English for dog. So you bring it together and then you emphasize. Only that there is a challenge, there is a difference. While in the first example, which is dog, you have a CVC word, a closed syllable. So you have as, but in aja, that is a vowel, consonants and a vowel. So the challenge comes to applying the same principle in a different context, which could be an Etkulian task. But gracefully, we use our improvisation. We understand some of these languages and then we genuinely, genuinely just try to improvise whatever we can do to ensure that the class is inclusive enough. Thank you. Yeah, wow. I, I can see the level of complexity that exists. Um, I learned, I went to a first language Welsh school, but I came from an English speaking home. So that is the only way I can maybe, maybe I understand. I really struggled for similar reasons there because the language I was being taught in was not my first language, but it was the first language of the school. So it, uh, I had similar challenges and not only did I have to, had, and only was I dyslexic, but then I was getting confused around the different rules around the two different languages. But I appreciate what you're saying here is then you're making the connecting dots that exist between those different languages to help then uh, kind of progress forwards and understanding. What I'm fascinated about, Stephen, though, is how then, how then are you able to 
identify children or support the identification of children when we consider uh, maybe dyslexia or ADHD or autism? Are, are there any um, methods within the school or um, within the healthcare system that are an enabling you to be able to do that? Or is that very difficult at the moment by nature of the way that they've the, the, that they've been built, you know, the way to assess for um, these? Uh, and therefore, are we just having to make some um, some assumptions or guesses based on certain categories? Oh, fantastic. I, I love that question so much, Theo, because that speaks to the current reality. Um, sadly, the most recognized uh, disability in Nigeria is autism. And that's because so much awareness has been created. Uh, so many people know about this. Unfortunately, uh, from my personal experience, I have found out that there is a misinterpretation um, Nigerians and many people call what autism is not autism. So for example, I gave a presentation recently to, uh, and then some pre-service teachers and, uh, teacher trainers. And I ran a poll, just a simple WhatsApp poll. And I expected, okay, what's the most prevalent, uh, neurodiversity you're familiar with? And I gave options, ADHD, dyslexia, autism, and the like. So they are familiar with autism. So many of them chose autism, right? Now, when it comes to explanation, I gave symptoms of different learning disabilities and I asked them to identify what learning, what learning disability that was. I just wanted to get a background knowledge of what they know about this. And I must tell you, out of all of the neurodiversity I explained, from the first poll it revealed that they are more familiar with autism but when it comes to the characteristics this uh you know the symptoms of an autistic individual or someone with asd it shows that the participants do not know so then we ran another test to say okay, what do they know about autism and then i found out that they've referred to some other uh you know disorders which are not even neurobiological, they refer to them as autism. So for example, an individual who has cerebral palsy, these participants have classified them as being autistic because what they know most times it's autism, autism. So whenever they see anyone who is showing any form of difference, they say, oh, that's an autistic man, that's an autistic child. And so I said to them, okay, can you please give me specific terms about autism? And then they were mentioning a couple of terms, and sadly, uh, I'm afraid they never mentioned two words. They never mentioned challenge with socializing. They never mentioned challenge with communication, which are two central challenges autistic individuals face. So I was surprised and I said, something is wrong. There is a miscommunication. There is so much assumption that has come to place. So. Uh, that's the background to the response to your question. Now to the point of assessment. Now, I am uh, focused on dyslexia. And for screening, we used screeners such as the David Kilpatrick uh, phonological awareness screeners test. We use a number of benchmarking tools 
you know, which we use to try as much as possible to check their level of phonological awareness. And uh, the current one that I used, uh, initially, at some point, we're using Wade, uh, W-A-D-E, we're using uh, Wade, which is uh, from Wilson. But we had to stop that and then we had to apply the one from Florida. And that's the one from FCRR, that's Florida Center for uh, Reading Research. And that's what we've been using for quite a while. And in a way, it's helped. The only challenge is, you know, what is referred to as a benchmark for kindergarten pupils in the U.S. where the instrument was developed. is not even appropriate for some of my grade five pupils. So, for example, you go to class and you say, uh, you know, simple uh, phonological training, you know, just awareness, trying to ensure that they understand the sound in words. And I'm shocked they do not. So we have to teach, teach them, explain in different contexts until they get to understand. And then we limit the benchmarking to a particular level in order to get. But you know the good news? The good news is I found that I'm currently trying to stay in uh, five campuses of four schools and interestingly the kindergarten pupils are currently making significant progress why it goes back to the word catch them before the fall they have early intervention now we've started training them for the past 18 months and now they are used to the training compared to the contemporaries who are in uh you know other subgrades yet have gone through the educational system without understanding sound symbol correspondence, without understanding the alphabetic principle. So it's more of a challenge. So that's the challenge we have with assessment at the moment. Not that those assessments are not uh, appropriate, but when it comes to using it as a benchmark, there's a challenge. And then norming it to our current context is actually an Aquilian task. Thank you. So that's really fascinating that you're having to um, basically adapt what is available to you because it's not reflective of the experiences of those children and young people um, and 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 where they where they are in terms of their their progression because it, it's not reflective of America or uh, other countries and that I think, I worry that that is probably a, a challenge we face globally, that there are not enough mechanisms to be able to support individuals, to be able to to get the help they need because they may be um, misinformed around what some of those challenges or opportunities may be. For example, what you said there, which is maybe a miscommunication or misunderstanding around what is autism, and therefore, not only is it a challenge to get a diagnosis, but also then an understanding of how to support and help. Um, and with dyslexia, I always find that dyslexia was almost like the gateway for me to understand more about my neurological makeup, because it was easier to get the dyslexia diagnosis than anything else. That's because you, you could you had easier mechanisms to do it. So I imagine you you it sounds like that you uh, you see you see dyslexia as a great opportunity to start this conversation early in the school 
so that they, um, like you said, can get the interventions before they fall off the edge of the cliff. And we know that co-occurrence, if you're dyslexic, you're much more likely to be maybe autistic or ADHD or uh, who knows what else. So, um, sorry, just making some commentary around what you said there. Um, uh, do you find that those are some of the challenges I'm writing in the questions I'm asking? What do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, like I mentioned the other time, dyslexia is usually the gateway for me because that's my focus. And um, reading is, uh, from my research over time, I found out that consistently pupils have, uh, sorry, teachers have indicated that they want their kids to read. Out of many things, they emphasize that, uh, okay, I, I ran a poll recently and I found that that most of the, uh, you know, the symptoms that is being described by the teachers bothers on executive functioning. So uh, when you talk about executive functioning, you're talking about this is something that is predominantly, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you see it with dyslexic individuals, with individuals with ADHD. So I understand that for me now, I keep emphasizing about three things that is uh, our focus, principally dyslexia. Then we talk about dysgraphia, which has to do with the handwriting, because some of our uh, strategies, intervention uh, strategies, also addresses dysgraphia. And we speak about we speak to the attention part, which is actually the the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the ADHD. So sometimes we have to come in to talk about this calculia, but we do not talk about the assessment part. We just try to provide mathematics support to kids who may have comorbidity with these and then trying as much as possible to guide teachers on what they can do based on what research says and how they can apply it appropriately to their setting. Thank you. Yeah, and it's it, it's interesting because on some uh, aspects of what you're talking about, clearly there are, there are differences. The the level of complexity in terms of um, the variety of of different languages, experiences, making those connections that we were talking about. But actually, I struggle with the education system here in the UK at getting them to recognise um, dyscalculia and and to do anything about it. So even though awareness sometimes may be more increased, it doesn't mean things get done, right? It just means that people go, oh, yes, we've heard of that, but we, we've not got the time or energy or finances to do anything about it, which I think is probably one of the biggest issues we have globally, I think, is it's different levels of, of challenge, of course. I, I don't underestimate that, but I think it's the same global challenge we've got is that the awareness is important, which you've described, uh, you're, you're starting to make great headway and people are being positively responsive to it. But then the action beyond that is really seems very difficult indeed. What, what do you think? Do you find that, that that's the case? Um, and, and what is the response now? Do you think from those uh, people that you're speaking to, um, do you find that actually there is a lot of positive energy behind the concept and support for dyslexia and, and neurodiversity more broadly? What is your overall feeling around um, 
how this is landing um, within the education system and, and beyond within communities and families. All right. Thank you so much, Theo. Apparently, <laughs> I, I like to use this emphasis to say my approach, my framework to address this is always what I call the ripple bubble effect. I talk to teachers, I talk to pre-service teachers, I talk to teacher trainers, and I emphasize this to say, now that you know what next. It's not just for knowledge. It's not just for saying, yeah, we know about dyslexia. Yes, these are the symptoms of dyslexia, but what are you doing to provide the support? And I studied educational psychology at, for my second degree. And you know what I found out? It is the emotional part of this. So I emphasize to the teachers to say, you may not have all of the skills to help the pupils. And that was why my quote says, some teachers are as confused as the pupils themselves. So you may be confused about how to help your pupils. You may not have the resources. You may not have the support. You may not have every of the may not and may not, but you have something and that is the emotional support. You must ensure that any child who belongs to the neurodiversity category must be given enough support. So I use different examples. You don't ask pupils to say, you don't say to pupils, what is this nonsense you've written, which is a normal language from teachers. So when you see a child who has scribbled something on the book and they say, you've written nonsense. So instead of that saying that you could come to the child and say, can you read what you've written? And then the child says, I'm sorry, ma'am, I struggle reading it. Same here, I'm also finding it difficult to read. So can you please write in a way I can read? I'm sorry, ma'am, I cannot. Okay, what can you do to help you? Should I hold your hands? Would you like to speak instead of writing? Just giving enough options. And that's where I come in to tell them about UDL, Universal Design Learning, to say, you must ensure that the learning is appropriate and the assessment is used in a different format. And that's where dynamic assessment comes to play. To say that there is not just one cap fits all to assess every people in the class. You may not have the appropriate intervention. You may not have the appropriate tools to measure, to say you are giving diagnosis, but please, you can give a positive response, create an atmosphere. And the name of my organization emphasizes inclusive classroom, Nigeria, to say, the classroom must be inclusive enough to say every kid must come to class smiling and every kid must leave the class smiling. No kid must be a victim of prejudice from anyone. So that's the emphasis to you. And that's really important because I know from my daughter's experience that um, one of the biggest challenges is feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like you're not being heard. And that makes you just become quieter and less engaged. And I think that level of just consideration and empathy is huge. And I think you're right. You don't have to have all the answers. But to be there for that child, which often becomes very difficult when you've got a busy classroom, lots of children. But that makes a big difference just to be able to take a moment to, to let the child know that, they're not broken. They don't need fixing. It's okay. Um, and that they can have a voice in whatever way uh, suits them, I think is uh, 
it's really difficult. And I think it's one of the maybe the, the biggest lost skills out of the classroom because of a number of factors. Um, but I, I, I know from personal experience and, and that of my daughter that I see her now, when, when people do take the extra time, it makes a huge difference, not just in the classroom, but when she comes home, how she feels about herself. So that is powerful. So Stephen, thank you for that. And I guess just to wrap up, what 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 do you hope now to see, Stephen? What is the hope for you in the future? What do you hope uh, neurodiversity um, and uh, dyslexia awareness and beyond can ultimately achieve uh, in Nigeria? And what do you hope you can achieve? Okay, thank you so much, Theo. I always emphasize this, referring to my presentation at Mozilla Festival in 2021. And I gave a presentation saying, awakening the sleeping giant. All right. That's the rationale behind everything I do. To say everyone has a potential. The teacher has the potential to teach a kid who has dyslexia. The teacher has the potential to create an inclusive classroom, but they don't know how. The puppy wants to do better, but they don't know how. So my goal is to create uh, awareness and to empower them with the requisite skills. And after that, I believe I have released the trouble energy into them, awakening the sleeping giants. And then when your giant arises, what you expected to do is to go wake all the sleeping giants. So as a teacher, when you know about this, there's a saying in the literacy community, we know better, we do better when we know better, right? So you should do better. And that's what I'm expecting. That the level of awareness I started three years ago, 2020 saying let's talk about this let's do this we are at a different level now so awareness is increasing uh at an arithmetic progression that's not necessarily at a geometric rate but uh, the truth is we are making progress we are making progress and i emphasize to teachers it's not just about you making progress you are increasing your knowledge bank and then you should be able to help these kids too i recently spoke to pre-service counselors whom they call uh, pre-practical trainees who are preparing for uh, their practicum experience and i emphasize to them sometimes some teachers may come to your classroom and they would not mention these neurodiversity conditions they would just say there is a kid in my class i have been teaching and for all the while it keeps forgetting and then i say what's that telling you okay you know the teacher is giving you a symptom but you know the name to it and then you educate the teacher i'm sorry do not say he or she is forgetting it Paradventure, you have to go through the plato experience and what he emphasized that if they are not learning the way we are teaching them, then we have to teach them the way they want to learn. So if a kid is forgetting based on the approach you are using, then I'd say to them, why not use the multisensory method, the V-A-K-T, and that's visual. If visual is not working, use auditory. If auditory is not working, use kinesthetic. If kinesthetic is not working, use tactile. You may combine all of these approaches, but you must get the message across to the kid and you must ensure that they are getting the appropriate support from you and then they are making progress. So overall, what we're saying is you must not allow it to stop with you. It's a fire that has been lit and it must keep burning. It must keep burning such that every giant who is sleeping must come awake and then we can raise a mighty army of neurodiversity evangelists, if I may use that word. <laughs>
Of course, of course you can. Um, that's brilliant, Stephen. Um, and I, I truly believe that unlocking um, the, the sleeping giants, as you say, in, in, our, in our young people, it's going to make such a difference because the trauma starts as you were a child and you carry it sometimes for the rest of your life. And that trauma may not seem a big issue, some of it, um, but when you add it all up, it becomes a mountain for the giant to climb. And uh, I think that's the reality. So I, I focus on business because I find it's really difficult to change the education system. Um, but that doesn't mean the education system doesn't need to change. Uh, it's I'm not the person to do it now, but I'm uh, a huge advocate for those who have the position to be able to do it. So I very much value the work that you're doing, um, the awareness that you're driving, and, and each of us, many hands make light work, like together um, in every aspect of what we do uh, as part of the neurodiversity movement, whether it's from the medical perspective to within the education system, to, to business, um, and to our communities and our own lives. I think it's so important and so important we support and empower one another to be able to have the energy to do that. So, Stephen, incredible work. A blessing to speak to you, my thank friend. You. And uh, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Liz. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book, uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby, Neurodiversity at Work. You can get it on Amazon with Kogan Page, our publisher, and pretty much any other good bookstore. Enjoy. Look forward to your feedback and keep listening to the show. Thank you.